Welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Welp. Here we are. Hush, hush, sweet liars. This is not a great episode. It's not boring exactly. There's plenty of action and movement. It's not one of those sit around and watch flashbacks situations, but it is infuriating and utterly unsurprising. Like the big reveal is the existence of Mary Drake. But wouldn't it have been so much more effective if like we'd had Allison developing this half hallucinogenic relationship with her mother over the course of the season? It's all just wasted opportunity at this point. And this is another episode where the liars have collectively dropped about 50 IQ points apiece. Without further ado, it is the episode where Presria hooks up again, Veronica Hastings wins the election, Allison is menaced by coconut mask zombies, and Hannah gets kidnapped. Also, Emerson exchanges heartfelt I love yous right before Emily lets Allison sign herself into a mental hospital. It is a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of amazing to me that we have made it through season six. Like as a whole, we have made it through season six because season six, I think it's not an exaggeration to say it's the most disjointed season of the entire run of the show because it's the season that is weathering the time jump. But it is wild that like, so we started, you know, post dollhouse, We started with the songs episodes, the liars, you know, breaking out, the big, you know, misgendering Lollapalooza. And here we are at the end of season six. Everybody's a little older. I feel like I've aged 10 years personally. (laughs) Uh, And and this is the finale that we have. And and so before we dive right in, I want to talk a little bit about how this season finale stacks up against some of the other ones. Now. I think, you know, we could even talk about like maybe a a loose like ranking of the season finales. I think it's it's no um, I I, I think we'd probably both be in agreement that like season two is absolutely the high point. Right. It's the the the, what every season finale, I think, is trying to be is is the height of the big Mona reveal uh, and and the real like. Not only the Mona reveal, but I think that that was at a time in the show where a lot of the emotional beats are hitting a lot harder, right? You have the the Maya death. You have, you know, the big event that all the liars end up at. It is a classic, classic PLL moment. Uh, where do you think this episode <laughs> falls? <laughs> oh, are we... Yes, I definitely agree that Unmasked is the gold standard. After Unmasked, I mean, I I would actually have to say the season one finale because that was just the strongest era of the show. Uh, Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think that season one is, it's a really, you know, it's a very compelling episode. Spencer almost gets killed in the bell tower and it's like, we hadn't yet clued into the way that the show was constantly just like resetting the stakes and, you know, like resetting the concept of like, who is a, who is dead, all of that. So everything felt really new and fresh. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I think we've got season two, season one. Um, after that, I'm going to say, I'm going to say season three, I think. Um, hmm. You know, we, we kind of have, it's not, it's not great, but I really, I really do not love A is for Answers. As, as you know, I think that A is for Answers is a super weak one in yeah. terms of its structure uh, and in terms of its nonsense. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess, I, I, but then again, season five has the dollhouse stuff. Okay, maybe it's season five. Maybe it's I season, think it's season five, five followed by season three. Uh, followed by season four, and and then now coming up here, we have the conclusion of season six. And I think if we had to put the ultimate finale of the show on that ranking, I I would put it uh, after season three, but before season six. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think this is the worst of the season finales. Yeah, I I think that you're probably right. I think that it's a very unsatisfying feeling episode. And it's, it's interesting because especially as we get towards the end of the episode, I was thinking about like what it is trying to tee up for, you know, going into season seven. And it's just everything about this half season has been so clunkily constructed that it's like, what even are the stakes? Who even is this character? I don't think it's an accident. I mean, I think it's kind of hilarious that like up through this whole episode, None of the characters even know what to call A. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll get into this more like as as we're at the end of the episode. But when you think about so I was like watching this and I was like, okay, so is this like is this teeing up Alex Drake? Like I was yeah. I was having I was having a thought experiment with myself of like, does Alex Drake exist at this point in the writers' minds? Like, has yeah. Alex Drake been created yet? I don't really know. I would not be surprised if Alex Drake was like, your school project is due tomorrow and you haven't bought the stuff for your like lava volcano. And so you're just like throwing a bunch of stuff together. Um, but so I was thinking about that, but then I was thinking, well, the, the actual like stuff that happens in 7A, like we're going to go back to Jenna and Noel being yes. villains in 7A and they're nowhere to be seen here. They haven't been mentioned in A Dog's Age. So, yeah. uh, you know, this isn't really setting anything. Uh, this this really isn't setting up many of the pins that are actually going to matter uh, for the next half season. No, I mean, season, like, my memory of 7A is that it's really sort of a grab bag of like, well, let's return to some of our old favorite suspects. <laughs> Yes, yes. And I actually think, I mean, we'll see, maybe I'll reevaluate. I think that 7A is, in general, a better half season than 6B, both because you do have some of the, some of our old friends are back, but also because they decide, like, relatively early in the season, they're like, okay, these are the stakes. We've killed Rollins. Now this is the new thing that we're covering up. Um, I think it's a slightly more cohesive half season. Again, my opinions may change by the time we actually get into it. I mean, I think we're talking about like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin because like, I, yeah, it is a slightly better half season, but I, we're a long way from like a half season that is actually much good uh, at, at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. And so 
it feels a lot like this episode to me. It's sort of like why it's a bad season finale is I think it's like sort of PLL's like worst instincts coming to the forefront. It's a lot of, you know, we're, we have another now like biology family tree mystery going on. Mm-hmm. We have, we have characters saying things like I Google, I Googled how to make an electric fence and like complete ridiculous improbabilities being solved with like a coconut oil mask. You know, you have scenes of people just, like, running through the woods shouting for each other, which is, like, that's such a PLL trope. Like, over here, no, she went that way, stop, stop. Like, that's, I feel like, in all of, like, the bad finales. Um, and you have, like, these these really sort of, the the show propelling certain character dynamics forward, not from a place of, like, this is actually where the characters make sense to go next. But, like, because it's, like, the characters know it's the season finale. It's the season finale. So, Halo has to kiss. You know? It's the season finale. So, Presria has to have sex. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. There, there's no, like, organic character progression in this episode yeah. at all. Nothing. Um, there's very little that feels natural in this episode. Um, we'll we'll talk about some of the things that do, uh, and not surprisingly, they generally involve Troyan um, because she's still really giving it her best. I do think that, like in this episode, it becomes extremely clear uh, that the group of people who are as checked out as Ashley Benson are the writers, uh, and it's hard it's hard to fault Ashley uh, when the material is this shoddy. I gotta say. I love Ashley Benson. I love Hannah Marin. My love of Hannah Marin is so well documented on this podcast. This might be Ashley's worst episode, at least so far. She is really checked out here. Well, and it's a really bad episode to be to be as checked out as her performance is. Yes. Because the Hannah, the Hannah that is existing on the page here does not have like the warmth and the generosity of spirit that we have come to know from Hannah. Like the Hannah on the page is acting like a real jerk. (laughs) Yes. uh, And so like without the warmth of, and like the charisma of Ashley's of the performance that Ashley is capable of, like all you're left with is just feeling like, what the fuck Hannah? (laughs) It's like a, yeah, it's like, it's like a cold husk of a person. And like, I, I think I took a note in here, like Ashley Benson has forgotten how to act. Like, and I, I don't, I, that sounds so mean. And I like, I I think Ashley Benson in her great moments on the show is tremendous, like truly, truly tremendous. Uh, But I just, you're totally right. It's like, if she was injecting some of that warmth and charisma, she could sort of, you know, get it over the finish line of really bad writing. But it's when you have the combination of the bad writing and the really checked out acting, it's just like her, her character is like hard to watch. It's like, I can't even look at her straight on, you know? Oh God. When we, okay. We, we've got to get into this. Episode we've got to get into it. Otherwise, otherwise I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hide under my desk. <laughs> talk about I just remembered when we go from the, the Presria sex scene to the Halo's in the motel room scene. And I just like, Oh man. It's yeah. a rough transition. It's, it's uh, a difficult episode. Well, Let's dive in. We begin, uh, you know, a great place to begin your exciting uh, season finale. Everybody's waiting around. (laughs) 
We're at the loft and everyone is waiting for a return text from A. Uh, We learn that Allison is headed home from the hospital. Emily says that she shouldn't be left alone. Prezra is eager to agree that none of them should be left alone. So, you know, maybe he should just like put all those cameras back up. That seems like the easiest solution. Uh, They finally get a text back from A, which might be A's least inspired text to date. If you're lying, I shoot all of you. And gentle listeners, you know that shoot is communicated via a gun emoji. Uh, Where is the panache, eh? Uh, Spencer asks Hannah if she is sure. Spoiler alert, Hannah will be asked this question about 50 more times throughout this episode. Uh, But Hannah thinks the stakes are too high and that they've already made a decision. Spencer says we can undecide. And Hannah says, yeah, well, I trust Caleb. To which I say, well, fuck you too, Hannah. Uh, The terrible texts continue between Hannah and A. Uh, No police. This is just between you and me. Uh, They still think it's Sarah, at least for this particular moment. And this episode is like the classic A thing. It's like Schrodinger's A. Like A both is Sarah and is not Sarah. A is absolutely Sarah Harvey and is also every other person that we've ever met. Uh, And A says that this will be Hannah's last day. I feel like we need somebody to come in and punch up these texts. Like who can we get, who can we get to make these texts a little better? Oh man, they are, they are really bad. And actually I have to say that um, knowing presumably the ultimate answer is that these texts are from Alex Drake. Wow. They are so boring. No British slang at all. Really, really let down. Um, really really feel like these are very drab also the you're lying and i'll shoot you all is like (laughs) that's like the that's like i agree that is the worst a text message of ever it's just so unimaginative like a's a's whole thing is not threatening to kill the liars a's whole thing is like I'm going to attack you in a million ways you never saw coming. I'm going to, yes. I, I don't want you to die. I want you to live so that I can continue to torment you. Like exactly. That, that, yeah. That, that was a, that was a real that was a, text message exchange. Yeah. Where, where is act normal bitch? Like we need that kind of energy here. Where is it indeed? Also, uh, you're you're right with what you said about Hannah. My note here was, okay, Vina, you were right. Hannah is being <laughs> a straight up bitch. <laughs> She's awful in this episode. Yeah, my other note was, how long till she gets kidnapped? So, <laughs> oh, God. and like, let me just say, I and I have waffled on this at various times. Hannah used to be my favorite liar. Like Mona is my favorite character on PLL, but for a long time, Hannah was my favorite liar. So like, this is, this pains me. This pains me to see this, but it is just, it is very bad. The one good saving grace of this little intro is that Arya gets the shush, which feels like the right move for a season finale. It's a classic for a reason. Exactly. So Allison is swaddled on the couch with blankets. (laughs) I also have the word swaddled in my notes. I mean, that is the description. That is that is what is happening to her. Um, currently, she's swaddled. Then she's going to spend, like, the, the remaining part of the episode in the world's baggiest sweater. Um, but she's swaddled now. Elliot comes in for some canoodling, and I'm very bored. Uh, they talk about Charlotte, and Allison credits him with returning Charlotte 
uh, as a sane, happy, hopeful person. Uh, we look at a nice press still of Charlotte that has been framed. Uh, and then Elliot says that Jason filled him in on everything he's doing with Karasimi and Charlotte would be so happy knowing that her money is going to help people, blah, blah, smoochies, full of bisexual erasure and scene. I like how they couldn't even, they couldn't even be like, Charlotte is going to help people with mental illness. Charlotte's money is going to help trans teens. Like, nope, it's just nebulously help people. Mm-hmm. Great, 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 great. So uh, the Spoby reunion is we're starting to dip our toes in these waters here because over at the barn, uh, Spencer is showing Toby the various Radley blueprints. She is clearly charmed by the fact that Toby now wears glasses to read and is also clearly charmed by him remembering the French that she taught him. Ugh. Uh, Spencer says that they think Sarah is looking for something and she actually uses the phrase big bad, which I was like. How much, like, the characters know they're in a they're in a TV show at this point. Uh, Toby, they, like, come up with this plan where Toby is going to make sure that Sarah uh, is locked out of, like, the secret tunnels so that they can go down and find whatever it is that she's looking for. Which, I, and the whole thing is, like, this has to go on simultaneously, like, while A is, you know, distracted by Hannah. It's, like, not a great plan, you know? No, nothing about this is a good plan. Also in this scene, uh, we learn that uh, Toby and Yvonne have been to Paris. I want to speak to the manager. They go to Paris before Emerson goes to Paris. Does Emerson ever get to Paris? I don't think so. I don't think they're I don't think they're taking twin babies on like a flight to another country in the five minutes that they're married before they divorce and Allison moves across the country. Well, (laughs) okay. so uh, Emily comes in to the loft and announces that she left the generator in the car because they're building an electric fence. I legit forgot about this cockamamious element of this plan that is already chock-a-block of cockamamery. Uh, Hannah comes in and they talk about whether the electric fence will kill Sarah Harvey or just give her some jolts. Now, Emily makes a big deal about how she like went to a distant hardware store and she paid cash and... um, you know, so it'll it'll be totally on the down low that she bought this generator. Now, despite the fact that A is, like, all-seeing and whatever, like, she left it in the car! <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you think that A, like, just, like, or any person just walking down the street might be like, oh, hey, that person has a generator in their car. Hmm, wonder what that's about. Maybe she needs Hannah to help her carry it into the house and they can proudly display it a la sex bench. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, It's hilarious that it's like, she says in the scene, she's like, oh, Hannah went to say goodbye to Ashley to make it look real. So they're like, Hannah, so, so they think A is tracking Hannah enough to be monitoring her interactions with her own mother, but A is not noticing when Emily weirdly drives to another <laughs> town to buy a bunch of equipment. And A is watching Hannah enough that they see her go to the Radley to hang out with Ashley 
but they're not watching Hannah during any of the other stuff that Hannah is doing this episode that involves like this bizarro plan that they've embarked on like oh man come on also, is Emily's only part of the plan just, like, buying stuff? Emily, notably the poorest of all of the liars, is just buying all the equipment and then not actually there on, oh, like, game we'll, day? We'll we'll get into that because I have several Emily check-ins as we move through this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, even, even the liars have forgotten that Emily is a real person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Emily probably bought this generator because she's fucking trying to jumpstart her plot line this season. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately she left it in the car so it's a no-go she's like are there any lesbians that i can date hiding in this generator please for the love of god (laughs) um so back at the bar and there's like some awkward close hand contact between toby and spencer uh as he points out a missing records room on the blueprint that somehow spencer hasn't seen Uh, They both declare that this is a secret room that Charlotte must have created. Toby won't let Spencer do this alone, but it's tomorrow night, says Spencer, and she was just planning to sneak away during her mom's party. But Toby says that this will be their cover since he has to, you know, blah, blah, drywall, blah, blah, power tools. Uh, She doesn't want to mess things up for him and Yvonne. And like... This all just feels like a very weak reason to have these things all have to happen simultaneously. Also, Toby's going to be a real jerk to Yvonne about all of this. Uh, Also, that's not a surprise. So anyway, the big like drywall massacre beneath the Radley is going to happen uh, during the big during the party, during the party when it seems like Spencer would like kind of be needed upstairs. And also when they get to this point. Spencer's going to be like, oh, I remember how to use your tools. So why couldn't she just have borrowed the tools? Because Toby doesn't want her to go alone. Well, have her go with Mona. Anyway. Okay. At a table with many caffeinated drinks surrounding her, Aria is writing. Prezra. Not writing. Prezra is sighing dramatically and wanting a woman to ask him what's wrong. Every piece of dialogue in this part of the episode that Prezra says, you should imagine him saying with like sort of the Hamlet inflection of like, alas, poor Yorick. Like that, that is the energy yeah. that he is bringing um, to every, every bit of this. Um, so he wants someone to ask him what's wrong. Arya being Arya obliges, of course. He has finished the last chapter. And now he wants to process his feelings about never seeing Nicole again. Which, of course, is code for having Arya touch his cheek and hand and drawing her ever closer as he spins his web around them both. He gives her false flattery based on how great she is making him. And she assures him that they have written a beautiful love story for Nicole. During this time, they do a double clutch handhold, a.k.a. the exact level of physical contact we've gotten from Emerson this entire half season. There is also a very yikesy line in here when he's, she says the name Nicole and he says he can finally hear her name without wanting to put a fist through a wall. Mike knows what Byron's face looks like when he's about to hit someone. 
Yep, 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 yep. So, on the De Laurentiis couch, where Allison takes all her meetings these days, she is woken up from a nap by the sound of her Furelise music box. She goes to check it. Then she hears the floor creak. And then, bam! Zombie Jessica in the door. <laughs> Allison shrieks. The phone rings. Uh, and then zombie Jessica says, did you miss me? And Allison freaks out. Now again, wild, wild gambit, Mary Drake and uh, the artist formerly known as Elliot Rollins. Like, this is really making a lot of assumptions about how Allison is going to react. The wildest thing of all is that it goes exactly according to plan. <laughs> Yeah. Also, that like Mary Drake can apparently like just disapparate at, at, at moments. And I was like, doesn't she have like, where is she going? Is she running into another room? Does she have like a hidden door in a closet somewhere? Like, what? I have a note at one point when Rollins is like, he's like on the phone with Allison, but like 30 seconds later, he's in the Wilden mask. And I have a note that he's just like crouched in the bushes outside the Delorenta's house, like, Allison, I've got to go. Okay, <laughs> see you later. Pulls the mask on his face. <laughs> I I actually, um, I assume that they probably had Alex Drake wearing a Rollins mask and Rollins wearing a Wilden mask. Like, you know, it, was just, it was just, oh my goodness. Mask yeah, this is, this is really something. Uh, also, shout out to the hilarious rotary dial phone uh, that is being called on here. Like, and I, I will give it to Sasha. She has not had a lot going on this half season, but she really does treat this like her scream audition. So Sasha is great in this episode. I will just say she has nothing good to do, but she's she does a great job with what she has. Yeah, 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 yeah totally, totally agree. Okay, so uh, Allison is describing the happy dream that she had about Jessica as she eats dinner that night with Emily. Uh, Emily tells her about a similar dream she had about her dad after he died. Uh, it felt so real, but maybe it was just because Emily wanted it to be. Uh, Allison says, well, she didn't want to see her mom the way she looked this afternoon. And Emily blames the super strong painkillers that Allison is on. Uh, Allison tosses them out. She hates that Emily has to babysit her, but she's so glad Emily is here. Emily is too. And then we switch to a view from outside the patio doors of the two of them talking and laughing because the writers can't be bothered to let us have actual dialogue with their banter. Also, like, not that I can complain about Emerson getting a scene together, but Emily doesn't have anything else to do. Caleb is building the electric fence all by himself. Yes. Well, also, like, we, you know, we've talked about the framing of Emerson, like, this is not at all framed like the Spoby scenes, for example, are being framed as like, oh, our hands are brushing and like, oh, you speak French and oh, you wear glasses. And like they're being framed as like there's still heat between this couple. Caleb, obviously, that's like dripping all over their scenes. There is none of that in this Emerson scene. Like it is not at all being played like this is a couple that is, you know, where they might have feelings for one another. No, and this could be a very emotional conversation. Like, Emily's yes. dad is dead, which we really have not heard about yes. much at all this half season. Uh, Allison's mother is dead. Like, you know, th this could really be, like, an interesting point of connection for them. Um, but, you know, we're not going to dig into that. I mean, what am I thinking? They're not the straight couples. <laughs> they could have even given us 
a flashback of Allison comforting Emily after Wayne died. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anything. I'm clearly dreaming too big. Um, also, why is Allison on uh, such intense pain meds for a concussion? Well, because she's on intense pain meds for a because con- it's the season finale. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I'm, you, I'm, you were concussed. Were you I on? Was, did you exactly. see coconut oil zombie mask people I, because of the painkillers that you were on or, or your gaslighting husband or anything? A zombie in every corner of the room. Well, first of all, <laughs> Allison was watching TV, which as a somewhat recently concussed person, I know you are not supposed to do with a concussion. But uh, yeah, I don't think they really want you on a bunch of pain meds because like they you're kind of they kind of want you like to not, I don't know, hit your head again by like wandering around someplace. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. So, the brew is the site of the Phillips party, which, does this mean that this, is this confirmation that Prezra is a Republican? Oh, I would say yes. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it probably is. Uh, So, Toby and Yvonne, they're stringing lights and cooing about how he's part of the family, when right at this, you know, very tense moment where Yvonne is, like, getting ready for her mom's election, Toby blurts out that he can't come to the party because he has to take care of something for a friend. And Yvonne sighs knowingly and said, says, would her name be Spencer? Because Yvonne is, of course, always thinking about Spencer. <laughs> yeah, this, I, I really like that Yvonne just, like, calls him out on it. Like, she doesn't even yeah. hesitate. She's just like, me too. Come on. Me too. On uh, at Hastings campaign headquarters, everyone is abuzz. The election is going to be close. Mona is shown in and greets Spencer by saying, hi. Spencer says, she must be to be crazy enough to show up here. Mona, because she is my hero, calls Spencer out on her language as one ex-Radley patient to another. She shouldn't throw that word around like that. Spencer asks Mona what she wants. Mona wishes to help. She's voting for Veronica, wants to help her win. Spencer asks, does she want Veronica to win or does she want the Phillips to lose? Mona tells Spencer that she's not the enemy. She hasn't been for a long time. It should be noted that Spencer stands up to get an even closer face watch. Spencer hands her a phone and tells her to stick to the script and then kind of begrudgingly smiles as Mona starts placing calls to voters. There's also, I believe, a yes ma'am in this scene that you oh, took yes, a special Fred. note of. <laughs> yes, I did. And a little thumbs up from Mona that is adorable. Uh, yeah, I love this scene. This is probably the best scene of the episode. And um, clearly, like, these two should be a couple. Like, it's it's very obvious. And it's very clear that, like, Mona is trying to get something going here. And I don't know why they're not making out by the end of this episode. Like, I it do- that do- simply does not compute in my brain. Hard agree. Yeah, yeah. So, back at the brew. Toby is essentially saying to Yvonne, I have to do this thing. Don't ask me any questions. Uh, He pulls this very manipulative line saying that he doesn't want to lie to her, so she's not allowed to ask him about it, which she points out, you know, that that is kind of screwed up and announces that she won't let him turn her into the woman who says, pick me, not her, which is a very good Yvonne line. Uh, 
what was Toby like? Toby, he just had not thought about this at all. He like had not thought about how he was going to approach this with Yvonne at all. He hadn't come up with like any excuses or any kind of explanation here. Yeah, I mean, dump this man already, Yvonne. You can do so much better. But also, like, last week we saw what a problem it was for Prezra to be with a woman who was asserting her own agency uh, in that that conflict that he had with Nicole. And here it's, like, second verse, same as the first, a little bit louder and a whole lot worse because it's Tobey. Yeah. Like, she is not buying his, like, statement that he is the only person that can do a task that he cannot tell her or explain about. Uh, he doesn't want to lie, so she better stop asking. Like, she's just like, I'm not going to engage with this ridiculousness. You are being absurd. Yeah. I, I don't want you to do this. I want you to level with me if we're going to be in a relationship and if we're serious about one another. Um, and also, like, what is what is the risk of, of him telling Yvonne? Right. I, you know, he's just, this is just, this is Toby and the RV all over again. And we learn here that Yvonne would not fall for that foolishness. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad. I mean, I, I'm i mad that she does eventually take him back, but I'm glad here that she's like standing up and walking away from this man. Yeah, yeah, me too. Huh. Okay, so somewhere in the woods, Hannah and Caleb are building an electric fence. She is still being flirty. He's still being into it. And we get a hint about the plan being motion sensors and lights and cameras, which hopefully is going to help them take a picture of Amogee. Uh, Hannah is inexplicably charmed by this new nickname for the new A. There's also a lot more talk about Caleb's butt crack that I would prefer. Okay, I am really treating Hannah and Caleb like the people who like, th- this is the plot line that shall not be named. It's so <laughs> bad. But yes, it's true. They talk about his crack and they kind of flirt over it. The straights are not okay in this episode. None of the straights are okay. Well, the gays aren't doing much better, I'm afraid (laughs) to tell you. (laughs) I mean, that is is a hard, (laughs) that's hard to argue. (laughs) Speaking of which... Uh, Emily and Aria are babysitting Allie. They actually use the word babysitting, which like as if we needed Allison to be even more of like a weird infant, you know, housefrau child here. Uh, Allison is sleeping upstairs. Aria on the phone thanks Hannah for doing this, calling her brave, to which I say, well, Hannah wants to get plowed by Caleb. So I don't know if like what exactly is motivating this bravery, but you know. Uh, Emily announces that the book is incredible. So I think Emily actually must be the one who's high. Uh, Aria, though, is worried that her chapters are too honest. She started writing about what she used about what she loves about Liam, but then that wasn't right. So then she started to write about what she used to love about Prezra. And she says that it hurts Liam to read these pages, which I was like, wait, has Liam already read these pages? And we just, that happened off screen? Or we just meant, is, this, is Arya just like speaking, like predicting this? And of course, we don't know. Um, and Emily, whose job this week is to simply be a commentator on her other friend's storylines, points out, you know, that there was no world in which this was going to be simple. Yes, I think that Arya is predicting that Liam is going to be hurt by reading these pages because I think that Arya um, 
like it's it's the whole thing with how like she can't talk to Jillian directly. All her communications with Jillian are done <laughs> via men. Like yes. it, it's it's this kind of situation where like Arya is not capable of centering herself in her own narrative. Completely. She's just like it's like second nature for her to be like, well, Ezra's gonna feel this way and Liam is gonna feel this way, and what on earth will I do? And what she's really saying here, like, this isn't a terrible conversation because like like Arya is basically like putting it, she's putting out a little feeler of like, but what if I'm still in love with Prezra? Or what if I think yeah. that these feelings are coming back? And so she's like, she's like kind of just doing like a trial balloon on this, like maybe for herself, maybe for Emily. Um, but like, it's so silly for Arya to be like, I think he's going to be hurt reading these pages. I think he's going to be more hurt by the fact that you're about to bone Prezra in like, you know, a couple of scenes from now. So just, just some food for thought. But also like, if you find yourself like really ruminating on like, well, how is Liam going to react to this? Like, why don't you actually center your own, like, what is it going to feel like for me to have Liam react to this? Like, yeah. Let, let me imagine what my life is going to be like when this book comes out. Like, don't don't ever be afraid to center yourself in your own narrative. And I feel like Arya as an author should be especially aware of that. Well, you know, the other thing that Arya could do if she's so worried about how Liam's going to react to these pages, she could talk to Liam about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. That is that is true. Whew. So also they're drinking like the most giant glasses of wine, like the PLL. Yeah post time jump enormous glasses of wine um while Allie is sleeping uh in her bed uh and suddenly a man's arm wraps around her she is snuggling in she's contented until she turns and sees that it's Wilden okay my favorite thing ever would be like if she was like what are you doing here because <laughs> honestly what is Wilden doing here oh my god he cups her face. She screams. What a wild bet that she would not like rip at his face. <laughs> it seems like that seems like like there's like at least a sixty percent chance that ripping at the face <laughs> is gonna happen. But um, no, does does not. Um, also, what a weird choice for this to be Wilden as opposed to Ian or Shauna or just her mom, like. Since the show has never even bothered to name him within the show as Beach Hottie, like, yeah. in point of fact, Allison has never been in a room on screen with Wilden over the whole course of the show. Like, the closest we've seen is one photograph of them with Cece on his boat. And it was Cece, not Allison, who was responsible for his death. This would be a super effective haunting if the target were Hannah. And Shauna would be like an effective haunting for Allison or Aria or Emily. But Wilden just does not translate in the same way. And it is extremely clear the show made this choice based on actor availability yeah. rather than anything that would make sense from a character standpoint at all. That's what I was going to say. I, I would not, I, I am like 80% sure that this was probably written to be Ian who would have made a lot more sense. And then they couldn't get that actor. Um, and so they decided to go go with Walden. Yeah, you're right. Literally, like anybody else would make more sense. Um, 
also, <laughs> you know, I have been on this strange diet recently where I basically the backbone of the diet is coconut products because you can't have any dairy <laughs> or any nut products. So it's a lot of like coconut oil, coconut milk, you know, coconut butter, uh, that kind of thing. And so I do have a new appreciation for the the power of coconut oil. However, <laughs> I do not think that a coconut oil mask would quite be as infallible as this show is presenting it to be. Well, just put also, it out there. Also, I'm I'm going to say something. I mean, you you obviously have a, a, a greater recent experience with coconut products than I do, but I will say the coconut is not a fragrance free <laughs> substance. So it is it is sort of shocking that Allison is not like so I saw this zombie Wilden who smelled amazingly like coconut. <laughs> like, is there something we're missing? Did was Wilden known for wearing coconut cologne or something? <laughs> so it just gives that era a real. Also, like, there's no, there's no like grease or oil on the pillow or anything like that. No, no, it's not melting off at all. No, no. Do they eventually reveal that they are able to make the mask like from a, a picture of the person's face? Because like Wilden is very much dead. I I don't even remember how they. Okay. make uh, Who knows I, I, I how they stop make questioning the mask? It, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. So this this is happening. It's Wilden because plot reasons. It's Wilden. Uh, Allison is horrified. Does not scratch his face. Also, why couldn't they just have it? Like, doesn't it just seem like it would make more sense to have it be her mom? Like, because yeah. Mary Drake, like, is, like, a corporeal person. Like, you would not have to worry about her scratching her face or anything. Like, oh. There's a lot of things that would make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Literally anything. So. Literally anything. Um, yeah. So this little sequence just ends with, you know, Aria and Emily finding Allison in the corner. Allie is convinced that Wilden was there. He touched her. She felt it. Uh, Emily's going to go call Elliot. Allie asks what's wrong with her. Well, I, okay, first of all, the De Laurentiis house has gotten like 10 times bigger because Aria and Emily are running like down hallways and corridors <laughs> until they suddenly get to Allison's room. Uh, and also they don't even bother checking to see if someone was there. Like they don't even look to see no. if there are any signs of anything. Uh, so I, I give them a very low score uh, for for their ability to like protect Allison here. One of the weirdest parts of this episode is that it doesn't seem to occur to anybody that Allison's hallucinations could have anything to do with the person who is constantly menacing them. Like they are completely like, oh, this must be a completely separate mental health issue that is all in Allison's brain. Never mind the fact that we're constantly being menaced by like anonymous figures running around our houses and stuff. No, and their only theory is that it was the painkillers, not that, like, she's concussed and could be, like, having, like, some some brain trauma or something. Like, yeah, yes. this, is, this, is, uh, this is really quite something. I actually think, like, we're, we're constantly suggesting things that could make this whole plotline better, but, like, wouldn't it be so much better if Allison had been having, like, imaginary conversations with Charlotte the whole season, or if Allison had yeah. been, like, if, like... We know that Allison had hallucinations of Mona during the Christmas episode. Like, yeah. wouldn't it really be something if this is something that Allison had been dealing with for a long time? And just, it's like, you maybe Charlotte knew about it and told Rollins. And so that's how they're exploiting it. Like, I just feel like all of that would make much, much, much more sense. I am going to say something 
that shocks me to say, and I don't, I don't think this is a reference that will mean anything to you, but I actually think that the Grey's Anatomy Izzy is having sex with Ghost Denny, but whoops, it's actually a brain tumor, which is a terrible storyline, is better handled than this one. I have not seen that, but that does sound like a terrible storyline. It is, but at least they built it up. Like, there's time where they build it up. Because it's like, she thinks, she she at first thinks she's just being visited by her dead boyfriend. And then she realizes that she has a brain tumor and, like, is having hallucinations of him. But it's like, they actually take the time to build it up. So it's not good, but it's better than this. I mean, most things. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Low bar. Low bar. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. In the barn, Caleb is shirtless and on his computer in bed. We hear some nonsense about he'll know that Sarah isn't following him because he's programmed a camera drone to follow his car. Uh, Spencer watches him put on his pants, all sexy, sexy. Uh, He goes to get her more coffee and then watches her zip a dress up her naked back. Then he does something very questionable in acting jealous of her climbing down a ladder, and what if Toby sees the panties that she is wearing in this tight, tight dress? Hey there, Hector Projector! (laughs) Anyway, it looks like things are going to get very adult Cinemax at night, uh, Spalub up in here, until Peter Hastings clam jams it up, (laughs) knocking at the door, demanding a word. Um, Spalib kiss a deep, sexy kiss, and Caleb makes to escape out the back door with his shirt unbuttoned. Spencer says she loves him, and he grins and does not otherwise respond. Spencer clearly clocks this, but then hurries him out the door. What was so important for Peter to talk to Spencer about? Nothing that we'll ever know, nothing that was important (laughs) enough for the show. Peter was just knocking on the door like, Knock, knock, season finale. It's going to be reunited. Extra, extra, read all about it. I do kind of like the idea that Peter is like overwhelmed by campaign headquarters and is like, hey, Spencer, you want to just like hang out for a little bit? (laughs) Um, This scene, though, is so weird. Like, this is probably the most out of place feeling scene in this whole episode. Like, I I labeled this scene as over at the sex barn because he's like, (laughs) You can, like, smell the sex coming off this scene. And it's weird. Like, we talked about how how Spalub is very sexy. But, like, this is odd sexy. Like, the, the like, lingering shots of, like, Caleb's abs as they're, he's pulling on his pants. And, like, the weird long body shot of, like, Troyan naked but for a pair of underwear. The two of them whispering the words panties a bunch of times into each other's mouth. Like... It's strange. It feels really out of place, especially for a couple that's on the brink of breaking up. Well, it starts out, like, the blocking of it is really weird. Like, he's shirtless in bed. He has his computer open. She's kneeling at the foot of the bed. I don't even really... She's getting shoes. She's getting panties. She, I don't know what she's She's putting on makeup, which, like, what woman puts oh, her makeup on on the yeah, floor? Yeah, she's, like, she's, like, crouching down with, like, a, a weird a mirror at a weird angle. Yes, so that's happening so like she's like sort of like kneeling at the foot of the bed that he's in he's not totally looking at her because he's looking at the computer and and so it's like oh this is like a scene about them being like weirdly disconnected or like her being like a supplicant to him or something I don't know I don't know what is supposed to be happening here but I agree it's just really really strange 
It's really weird. And it's weird, too, because, like, when he has the line about, like, Toby and her panties, which is a weird line, then she's like, oh, I'm glad you're so concerned about my panties. I'm sorry, listeners, that I'm saying the word panties so much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like hearing myself say it. I'm sure you don't like hearing me say it. Um, But it's like, but she says it like this kind of. It's like sexy, but also like wistful or something like I everything like the direction of this scene is bizarre. Well, the other thing is that Caleb is doing this on purpose. Like Caleb obviously is aware of what's happening with Hannah. And he is like he's trying to instead of having a conversation with Spencer about it, he's trying to reassure her of his interest by saying like well you better not go and hook up with old toby and also yeah. he's saying like if i trust you with toby you should definitely trust me with anna yeah oh yeah they're they're like multi multi-layer levels and all of them are bad yeah yeah it's yes it's very strange and like it's weird it's also like a weird image to put in our minds of like toby like looking up spencer's skirt like it's like what is, what is this scene <laughs> What is this scene? <laughs> oh, so Elliot, who, let me remind you, left his wife to go off to Chicago, is mad that Emily has left Allison alone to go vote. Uh, Elliot, you know, rants to Allie something about misplaced guilt, and uh, she replies that she won't sleep until he's home. Oh, Allison. Uh, and this is where I took the note, like, was he in the bushes during all of this? Because Allie considers a photo of that photo of Charlotte, but is then startled by zombie Jessica outside, pointing through the window at Wilden inside with gunshot wounds uh, as like a new fun addition to his little <laughs> zombie look. Um, and Allison like yells at him to go away. She says it wasn't my fault, which again, this would make a lot more sense if this like if. It would make more sense if this was Ian. If they could have done the Wilden thing if they had more, like, if they had more kind of connected this idea of the idea that Charlotte had killed Wilden for Allison, which is kind of the story. But, like, it's been so long since anybody brought that up. And that's not, like, that thread is not really being brought up here. And so it's just, it's just really a strange choice. It is. It is a strange choice. Another choice they could have made is have Charlotte herself be the the ghost that is haunting Allison. Like, oh my god. Yeah. And also the thing about these these like, oh, zombie Jessica, oh, zombie Wilden is like their PLL has done some like decent jump scares in their time and some decent startle scares. These are not that. Like I I am very like I, I have to like go to the like the jump scare site before I watch a horror movie so that I can like prepare myself if a jump scare is going to happen. Um, these are like the the least scary jump scares. Like these are like the kitty roller coaster of jump scares. Like there is nothing uh, there is nothing that seems genuinely frightening about them. Sasha is doing her best to act like she is so freaked out, um, but uh, again, like very like. Two out of ten, I feel like, <laughs> for for like a a hijinks here. I agree. And I also feel like, you know, we talked about that part of the problem with Ravenswood is this idea of like you sort of can't change the rules of your story. It can't sort of be like, oh, magic suddenly exists in this world where like 
A also exists and A is kind of magic, but that's like never the in-universe PLL explanation. And so like that's a problem for these two things to exist in the same space. And I know that very quickly they're they're going to the place here of, oh, Ali's having hallucinations. But I do think that, you know, there is this part of your brain that's supposed to think like, oh, my God, is this actually zombie Jessica? And it just doesn't work because, like, that's not the world of PLL. Like, we know that there has to be another explanation because this isn't a world. A lot of weird stuff exists in the world world of PLL, but supernatural stuff doesn't. So it right. just like doesn't it it feels really out of place. It feels like a thing from Buffy or something. Yeah, and like they've gone they've gone all in on like just like what's happening is that these these people look real because they are they're like actual people. Uh, but also like they they don't really do like Jessica's like made up to look like a zombie, but there's nothing that seems like otherworldly about them. There's no like voices coming from the vents or you know like it's it's just um you know it's 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 the kind of haunting that would be devised by like i don't know your little brother or something like it's just not it's just not um it's not high level work i don't feel even i'm gonna reference another piece of like not great media that does a better job at the same idea which is scream three uh, when Scott Foley is pretending to be Sydney's mom and haunting her. And like, that's not even a good twist, but no. like that is better and like more effectively feels like a haunting than this. Yeah. Well also like what a wild, what a wild gamble that none of the other liars are going to walk in the house while they're doing this. Like Emily just went to go vote. Spencer lives right next door. Like no one is going to walk in and check on Allie and like, happen to bump into zombie <laughs> Jessica or Wilbur. Also, does Allie have no security cameras on her property after everything that they've been through? Like, I know. Like, oh, hey, look, there's the zombie Jessica at the door on the camera. Oh, interesting. No, also, like, so what happens? So, so what happens after this? So, like, what you know, Allie is yelling at gunshot Wilden, who's standing in her living room. Then he just like turns around and runs away really fast like what like what I you ask you like, ask what, a great question what is their exit strategy here i mean i guess allison just like puts her hand over her eyes and says you're not real and then they sneak away they go and stand behind the curtains i don't know <laughs> i guess so i guess so uh so yvonne is at phillips campaign headquarters asking a man to call <laughs> someone again please also checking her phone and looking unhappy yes um and then there's this so we see like the other side of this which is toby leaving a message for yvonne saying that he'll make it up to her uh but again offering like no specifics or explanation and then we have a weird callback where he helps an old lady climb into a car and she calls him pretty eyes like okay sure whatever (laughs) weird callback but okay yeah, um, you know, just as a reminder that he is a bad guy. Um, and also, like, shout out to his non-apology message, vowing to make this up to Yvonne and saying that he loves her, even as he is about to do, you know, even even as he is about to act, like, really, really contrary to, um, you know, like, like, if they're as serious to the point that, like, they're talking about getting married, like, yeah, I, one of one of the things about that is that, like, 
you 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 modify your behavior like you're you're part right. of a unit you don't necessarily just get to be like the lone ranger anymore toby exactly oh but toby really fancies himself a lone ranger we know he this does. we know he does uh so oh i'm so this sorry this is like this is like i drew the short straw but you're about to draw the shorter one so uh at presres <laughs> Arya comes in bearing coffee and food, and Prezra is on the phone with Jillian. This plotline is still operating on the patriarchy data plan where Arya and Jillian are unable to speak over the phone directly and must communicate via a penis. Uh, in this case, Arya begins, <laughs> like, she's gonna, she's gonna hold it like, like, you know, like an old timey phone where like you have one thing in your ear and like one thing, so yeah. So that's that's the only way that they can communicate. Um, <laughs> in this case, Arya begins spinning out. Uh, you know, she's like, she's sure that Jillian hates her chapters and loves Prezra's, and Jillian doesn't have good taste anyway. There was this snail book. Like, Arya is going, like, full hat party. Uh, and then Prezra is interrupting her to say that Jillian loves the book. It's going to be huge. It's going to be marketed for Christmas, movie, TV rights. And Arya is just so happy that she kisses him, which leads to a full minute of heterosex. He's like picking her up. He's putting her on the counter. Uh, it returns to like Kresra's hairy man leg and many, many shots of Lucy's naked back. I don't, they have like some kind of naked back quota going on in this episode. <laughs> Um, I'm yeah. not sure because like there was the like weird lingering shot of Troyan earlier and now there are like gratuitous Lucy's naked back shots um, that are happening as she bouts Prezra uh, in the bed. Yes. Um, oh boy. Uh, yeah. It's This episode feels more like male gazy than the show usually is. Uh, also, I literally have the note, Arya is going full hat party in my notes. Uh, I l legit howled when Jillian was on the phone. with. And I texted you immediately. I was like, oh, my God, the phone plan. You called it. It continues. Um, but what's interesting to me about this sex scene is that, I mean, interesting, using that word, like, very liberally. But, like, they're smiling a lot during this scene, which I feel like it feels different from a lot of the really angsty Presria sex scenes of yore. So. Yeah. It, it also, um, like, we had the scene where Arya was, like, talking about are her feelings about him coming back. And it's interesting because... I mean, maybe I'm just, I, I've never shipped Presria, but I, I think I'm right here. They don't seem to have the same, like, irresistible force chemistry um, that the other the other couples, like, they don't have the Spalib chemistry, they don't have the Halib chemistry, they don't even have the Spoby chemistry. I, I feel like the vibe of them kissing here is, like, might as well, is how I would describe uh, the the moment uh, it just it just feels like it's it's like inevitable but not in like a sweeping destiny kind of way just a well I guess this is what happens now <laughs> yeah I I kind of know what you mean of all of the OTPs that are not Emerson because as we've talked about Emerson isn't an OTP um, they feel the least in some ways the le like they feel inevitable but the least inevitable at the same time like I kind of I get what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So, at the Lost Woods, Hannah and Caleb walk into uh, a seemingly abandoned room. Hannah notes that it seems like Creepy Harold just sort of up and left and the whole place is, you know, basically how he left it. Uh, Caleb makes a reference to a hostel he stayed at in Budapest, which is a real shitty reference given this flashback that we are then triggered into, which is Hannah and Caleb in New York, as always, arguing about Hannah's job. They have this big trip planned, uh, but Hannah, you know, it's it's like, you know, speaking of second, first, same as the first, it's like Hannah's going to lose her job if she doesn't do X, Y, Z. She has to be in this specific place or she's going to get fired. Uh, Caleb says that her life is on a loop and he's barely part of it. She asks what he wants and he says that he wants her to say no to her boss. Uh, she says that she can't do that. She goes to leave the apartment. He says that he won't be here when she comes back. He is leaving today. He can't keep doing this. She insists that they'll work it out like they always do. Uh, in the present day, Caleb or Hannah watches as Caleb hammers in a nail and she promises that he will be safe here. Now, I think that this fight is such a good example of two characters who are not bringing out the best in each other. Like, Caleb's frustrations are in some ways understandable. You know, he they had planned this this trip together. He wants to be part of it. But what's clear is, like, for it to get to this point, they have just simply not been communicating. Like, they have not – he is – she has not been talking to him. He has not been listening to her. Like – for it to be like we're leaving tomorrow, except, oh, no, wait, I can't. I have my job. Like, these are two people who are just who should not be together. Like, they just shouldn't be together. They're not they're They have different priorities. They have different communication styles. He's at the point of, like, threats and ultimatums. She's not really taking it seriously. Like, they they need to break up like they did break up here, but they need to stay broken up. Oh, 100 percent. Also, um, he's like. I, you know, your life is on a loop and I'm barely part of it, but I don't believe him because they've obviously been planning for the past three months, this trip to Europe that they're taking together, which I imagine involved some communication, some planning, some talking about things. So I don't think it's like, oh, he never sees her. And also this isn't like, you know, her boss says that she can't leave for Europe because she needs to pick up her boss's dry cleaning. Like she's supposed to go to Tokyo. She's supposed to be on a totally different continent. And she's not saying that they have to cancel the trip. She's just saying, I can meet you while you're already there. Like I can meet up with you in the second city that we were going to be in. Uh, but Caleb is totally unwilling um, to, to even consider that as a compromise. They have terrible communication patterns. Um, yeah, should not be together. And it's clear that like this, like much like we talked about how when Hannah blew up at her mom about Jordan, like Hannah was just kind of waiting to have that fight with her mom. Like Caleb has just been waiting to have this fight with Hannah. Well, I do not think this is the first time that they have had this fight. I know they have had this fight a hundred times. And I think the reason that Hannah assumes that they're going to work it out like they always do is that like she always winds up apologizing and then he's sanctimonious and then they just continue on their way. That's what she thought was going to happen again. Yeah, I agree. So Adelie returns to the De Laurentiis house and cannot find Allison. Allison's phone is on the table and it's ringing. uh, And I guess not password protected or anything. Why bother with that when you have a cyber stalker? Uh, Because Emily is able to answer Elliot's video chat. 
to advise him that she does not know where Allison is. Was video chat like new I know. Time or something? Because the show is using so many gratuitous video chats that it's absolutely weird. Yeah, I people don't I don't feel that people use video chat in real life in this way. No, they definitely do not. <laughs> um also like this is like again with the answering people's phones thing that we've talked about right right yeah yeah uh so over at the radley at the the sort of election night party spencer is on the phone with an apparently extremely nervous melissa uh peter offers a toast to veronica and spencer saying win or lose they ran a smart campaign which you know easy for him to say he's barely been part of it uh, Veronica appreciates everyone's sacrifices to get them here, to which I say, what exactly has Peter sacrificed? Uh, Spencer gets a call from Emily, who can't find Allie anywhere. Uh, Spencer says that the plan is in motion. She can't leave to help find Allie, which it is hilarious to me that Emily is like, can you come help me find Allie? And it's like, Allie is like a lost puppy that like ran out of the front door, you know? Um, Emily needs more friends was the note that I took here. She says that she has a bad feeling about this. Uh, and Spencer asks, where would you go if you wanted to feel safe? And then we get a brief shot of Allie walking to the church. Um, now I just have to say like, so what was Emily's part of the plan? Why couldn't Emily have gone down to the basement with Toby, for example, or Spencer? Emily did not have any kind of role in the plan. There's no talk about getting Emily a substitute to no. be in the plan. Nothing. And in fact, in fact, when this was happening on screen and I took the note, did Emily have a role of any kind in the plan? I was like, oh, maybe Emily was supposed to stay in the room with Hannah, but then she had to go catch lost puppy Allison and so Emily wasn't able to be in the room. And then that's why Hannah gets kidnapped. No, no. I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. Like as if Emily is like a main character, silly, silly, silly me. Also uh, props to Emily for being apparently the only one who is aware that this plan is never going to work because Emily is just like, Emily is just like, oh, I mean, I know you're supposed to be doing this whole plan, but could you come and help me look for Allison instead? Like. You know that that's not going to go well, right? Like, <laughs> Well, there's also just something so pathetic about being like calling your friends to look for your other friend, like in this particular way where it's like nobody, nobody cares about Emily or Allison. Like they're on their own separate show that like mm -hmm. none of the other liars are keeping up with. Right, right. Uh, and then also, like you were talking about, this is where we see Allison and the extremely baggy sweater, like the most baggy sweater in the world. Yes. Uh, and as far as her going to the church, like, if you think about the fact that she kind of sort of murdered Ian there and that her sister was flung out of the bell tower, this is not a building that screams safety to me. No, no, especially when she's not bringing her phone. Yeah, another call out to the fact that they probably did anticipate this being Ian instead of Wilden, uh, because that would like kind of make more sense in terms of her returning to the church. Good point. Very good point. So back at the Lost Woods, Aria has a bad girl queer look going on with a short leather motorcycle jacket. Uh, it's the best thing that we're going to see for a while here. Um, she offers Hannah water, although Hannah wants a drink. 
Prezra is going to test some strobe lights and needs uh, Arya's help. This leaves Haleb all alone together. She says that uh, he's never let her down before, although she has let him down. When did she do this? Oh, the night of their big fight. He says she made a difficult decision. And here's the thing. Caleb gives her that. He gives her that saying, you made a difficult decision. This could be an off-ramp. Hannah could say, you're right. I did. And they could go on with their lives. But that is not, that is not what Hannah does. She says there's something that she never told him. And we go back, back in black, back to the flashback. It's raining and it's raining in New York. Water is pouring through <laughs> There's so much rain. <laughs> Hannah is in a cab that is stuck in traffic due to all the rain. She calls Caleb. She gets his voicemail. She pays off the cabbie and says she needs to get out of there. She runs through the rain with her suitcase back to the apartment only to find that all Caleb's clothes are gone and he has left his cell phone behind on the counter. Al Hannah says if she'd gotten back a few minutes earlier or if she had just not left to begin with, things might be so different now. He agrees. They might be. It's still salvageable. You could just say like, things were different, they wouldn't be the same. You could say, I'm glad you found someone who cares about you. You could say, sometimes I still, you know, there are so many things, but she says, she never stopped loving him. He kisses her on purpose, deliberately, which honestly is what Hannah clearly wanted from that story. Their lip reunion is busted up by the return of Presria, uh, which is like the second like door knocking clam jam of this episode <laughs> uh, regarding uh, regarding like Caleb being about to you know kind of get sexy with one of these ladies. Uh, I hate everything about this, but especially the way that it's all. If Hannah had behaved differently, like there's nothing about like if Caleb had behaved like a petulant child. If Caleb had been more open to accommodating her work, if he'd taken her seriously as a partner, nope, no work required on the part of the man. Also, fuck this guy. And also, fuck Hannah Marin. <laughs> this is garbage. Yeah. You know, in like a in like a scary movie when there's like uh the scene where the killer is like stalking the victim and it's like, oh, maybe she's going to get away. Maybe she's going to get away because it's always some poor woman. You know, maybe she's going to get away. And then there's like the moment when you realize like he's got her like she's going down. That's what I feel like this scene is the experience, the experience of watching this scene. Like it's like the second she says that thing about how she never stopped loving him. It's like, oh, no, the knife is going in. This is awful. Like, this is horrible. It's, I, I, it is an assassinate, it's a character assassination. It is what Hannah does to Spencer here, what Caleb does to Spencer here. Uh, even poor Jordan, you know what? Even poor Jordan, like, poor Jordy indeed. Um, go ahead. I, I wish that this had been like, like, when we talk about, like, how could they do this to Spencer? I, I wish that there were, like, a line where Hannah says, like, 
you know, I never knew it was going to be our last time, or I feel like, I feel like we never got closure or, you know, I feel like there were so many ways in which we weren't done yet. Like if yeah. it was framed, if it was framed as like, maybe they just want one last time. Maybe they just want to reaffirm that like they were good together. They're not good together anymore. But this is like, that's not what this is. This is like a full on, I never stopped loving you. In which case, you know what, Hannah? You should have told Spencer. You should have told Spencer that when she brought this to you. And you should have told your fiance too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really bad. It's also like to me at all this whole situation and this whole flashback, it even it even sours it sours a lot of aspects of Haleb or Spaleb because like we now know that during, you know, Spaleb's sexy, sexy before sunrise little trip, like this was in the aftermath of this like horrific ghosting of Hannah uh, that has not been brought up until now um, because I think the writers just came up with it. And it just like it's it's just it's again, it's like these characters bringing out the show framing oh, well, it's this inevitability. They have to end up back together because, like, they're the OTP and they never stopped loving each other and blah, blah, blah. And, like, to me, what I say, what I see is, like, two people who are absolutely bringing out the worst impulses in one another. Like, this is not star-crossed love. This is, like, two people who want an excuse to, like, you know, have a, you know, a, an affair. Who They want an excuse to, like, fuck on a dirty mattress while yeah. they're you know, significant others are none the wiser. Like, and it's also that thing where Caleb in the times of the world is ending, of A is closing in, of all of this, that's when Caleb wants one another. That's when they're like, we got to be together. We got to be together because this might be our last time. But like when it's actually the real world and they have to live with one another, nothing has changed. You know, Hannah is still in the fashion world. Maybe she's going to take up Lucas's weird, you know, uh, offer he you can't refuse situation, but like, th like that is like they are not. It's not that they've gone through all of this growth and found their way back to each other. It's that they've regressed, and I think it's also so like such a funny. I mean, it's clearly just a lazy prop choice, but I think it speaks volumes that that when Hannah calls Caleb and they show like the contact photo on his phone. Uh, it's a press still of when they were in high school. And it's like, that says it all, doesn't it? That like that, like th this is not, you guys are not two people who are like growing together. You are two people who are like, gr have grown apart and now are clinging to each other in this moment of like intense vulnerability. Yeah. I'm also going to say that it being that photo of them in high school uh, also indicates that he maybe doesn't see Hannah as a person who exists separate from him. Yes, totally, totally. Also, weirdly, it's the same photo that, like, Lucas has. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't surprise me. But also, I feel like it is, in, in all of this, like, none of this is great, but I think the biggest bitch move award goes to Caleb for being so mad at Hannah that he left his cell phone behind when he took all of his clothes, he took all of his possessions, but he leaves his cell phone just to be like, this is how much I don't want you to be able to contact me. Like, he yeah. had to print out his boarding pass. <laughs> all of his boarding passes to go to the airport and travel across Europe just so that he could leave his cell phone on the counter so that when she called it, it would be sitting there. I'd I'd rather end up on some weird international data plan than ever <laughs> have to talk to you again, Hannah. 
I, I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy a burner phone in Madrid. Like, come <laughs> on. Come I'm on. gonna go to the AT and T store in Budapest. That's how much I hate you. I'm, I'm gonna go to JFK and I'm gonna buy a cell phone out of that vending machine. <laughs> it costs two hundred dollars. <laughs> Oh God. I also just, I hate that like Spencer is completely not like she's a non-presence in all of this. Like she ceases to exist for both of them in this moment. And I hate that. I really, really hate that. I hate that neither of them seem to feel any guilt about this moment. At least at this point, it's really bad. It's really bad. So over at the Radley, uh, Spencer is in different clothes, but still has her horrible bangs. uh, And she is counting her steps with Toby in the Radley basement. He does some manly carpentry explanation about how they're going to get through the wall. Uh, She remembers how to use a power saw courtesy of him, which obviously, you know, is a turn on for him. And like this also drives me up a wall as well, is that. It feels like the show is acting like, well, Spencer and Toby are hanging out together. Like, that somehow absolves them. It's like, no, Spencer and Toby, like, yes, there may be, there's a little bit of light flirtation going on between them. But they are being, they are behaving above board with one another. I mean, Toby is being an asshole to Yvonne. But they're not, you know, they're not making out. They're not talking about how they're still in love with each other. Like, everything that they're doing is reasonably within the realm of platonic. It does not absolve Hannah and Caleb of what they have done. Yeah, like if Yvonne were watching security footage of this, she would not be happy, but she would not be like homicidal. Whereas the same thing could not be said about Spencer having to watch footage of what Hannah and Caleb have been up to. Yeah, but the sad thing is like Spencer being Spencer, I feel like she would like apologize to Hannah. Yeah, I agree. Which kills me, yeah. Oof. So at the motel, Arya is asking Hannah for the one millionth time this episode if she's sure she wants to do this. She is. Caleb says the coast is clear. No one followed them according to like the drone flight pattern, whatever. Hannah sends the text message that she is at the Lost Woods Resort alone. Yes. Uh, Meanwhile, at the church, Allison is crying and praying uh, when a shadow approaches and it is Emily. Allie, who has just gone full off the deep end here, says that she knew that they wouldn't follow her here. This is her punishment. They're going to take her straight to hell. To which I say, Jesus, Allison, what happened to you? Uh, Emily insists that these are just hallucinations, but Allison says that she can't tell what's real anymore. And she needs help. Mm. Spencer and Tobey have uncovered the hidden door when another shadow approaches. Toby tries to shoot it, but it's (laughs) Mona, here to have hallway sex with Spencer, she hopes. Uh, They all go into the secret room together where they find nothing but a single cobwebbed file on Mary Drake. We see another dead naming of Charlotte on the text in the file. This file is not great. <laughs> it, it does not mention the other two kids that Mary Drake had while in Radley. And it has both her age and her date of birth listed as unknown. <laughs> now, this is like our first introduction to the Mary Drake Radley time wormhole uh, mm-hmm. where... Although Charlotte was born in the 1980s, 
Uh, although Spencer was like born, I think in like the, you know, 1990 or something uh, in the 1990s, uh, that despite those facts, uh, Barry Drake's time at Radley seems to extend from like the 1920s to the 1940s. Like, yeah, because like, I, I mean, how, Mina? how in 1985 could you find out how old someone was or their date of birth i mean you just couldn't there was no way of asking them there was no way of checking their social security number there was just it was just nothing you just the internet didn't exist so all you ever did was just write unknown <laughs> also i know the doctors at radley are not that good but could they have like estimated her age like <laughs> Would that have been possible? Like, did they know that she wasn't like 17? Did they know that she wasn't like 55? Nope, unknown. Further, further like going along with the idea that Mary Drake and maybe some other characters are vampires as like the only logical explanation. So <clears throat> they find this file. <laughs> Got a little distracted here. They find this very unuseful file about Mary Drake. Um, also, Charlotte was Jason's cousin and is almost exactly his same age. All of this is just to introduce us to Mary Drake's name. Got it, everyone? Mary Drake! Mary Drake! Mary Drake. <laughs> Say it three times and she'll appear in the mirror. Um, yeah, this, is, this reveal is hilarious for many reasons. Uh, one of them is Marlene's insistence that this, like, made the incest not as bad because right. they're cousins. Uh, the other thing that I think is weird, and I'm going to keep bringing it up because I still think it's weird and I will continue to think it's weird. Nobody has ever made the connection. Oh, Mary Drake. Hmm. Drake. Perhaps Jessica De Laurentiis' maiden name. Hmm. Cece Drake. Well, isn't that funny that these two people <laughs> have the exact same Surely that couldn't mean anything. Okay. Cece Drake is definitely not related to the De Laurentiis family in any way. Like, come on, people. Even in this scene, like, none of them are like, huh, Drake. Cece's fake last name was Drake. That's interesting. No, it's weird. Um, so everyone is waiting around for a Hannah in the room, uh, Caleb, Aria and Prezra out in the woods. Uh, seems like it might be helpful to have another person such as Emily here, but you know, Emily is off on like, you know, <laughs> lesbian church duty tonight. So I just want to call out the fact that like, they need all these people to do this plan, but Caleb and Prezra and Aria's role is to stand outside looking at the iPad? Yeah. Okay. It's, the, it's those motion sensors. It's those It's those infallible uh -huh. motion sensors. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. great, great. Yeah. You know, we talk about how, like, the liars shouldn't split up. This is a time when, like, actually maybe they should split up. Like, yes. maybe station different people in different areas. Maybe don't have, like, three people in a big, loud cluster when A has said, you know, nobody else is allowed to be here. Just a thought. Just a little thought. Uh, Caleb suddenly announces that someone is approaching west of the perimeter. There's lots of, like, this is the classic PLL, like, running through the woods, flashing lights. Nobody's here. Gotta get back to Hannah. Like, it's a lot of, like, over there. No, run away. She's getting faster. <laughs> uh, and they burst into the room. And, of course, there is no Hannah. And one of them, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Caleb or Ari shouts, this is impossible. <laughs> 
I have so many thoughts about this. First of all, I really like the fact that like what what hangs them up is the strobe lights that they themselves set. I know. Up. Like I know. Like you could have known that all the like you because you set them there. Like oh man. <laughs> Uh, like liars have come up with many dumb plans to capture A, but this is yep. one of the dumbest. It's very bad. It's very bad. And it's also not helped by the fact that clearly the show, as we've talked about all season, like clearly the show was having some budget issues and like <laughs> couldn't really show the construction of this fence. And so you just hear everybody talk about this like big metal fence that's going to knock her on her ass. But like we don't really ever see it. So it's just kind of like we just use our imagination. Yes. Yes. Correct. Uh, so. At Welby. Allison is signing herself in to a mental hospital. Oh, very chill. Uh, they want to take her wedding ring and she gives the rings to Emily to give to Elliot. Emily takes a moment to ask if Allison really wants to do this. Can't she just wait until Elliot gets home? Allison says the only thing she's sure of is that she needs help. She thanks Emily for taking care of her. They hug. They say that they love each other. And then Allison signs herself in to be voluntarily committed, knowing she may not be able to leave without psychiatric approval. I cannot believe that Emily lets Allison do this. Allison is clearly not thinking straight. Like, Allison is clearly in a lot of distress. Yes. Allison's husband, who is a psychiatrist, is going to be coming home. I cannot believe that Emily... And, and also, like, why not take her to the emergency room? Why not take her to, like... Oh, my gosh. Why not take her to Dr. Sullivan? Why is the first move taking her well-being? Also, I feel like... Here's the thing. Psychiatric treatment is a good thing to seek if you are in need of it. Like, rehab is a good thing to go to if you're in need of it. In the world of PLL, of course... That is never the case. Like in the world of yeah. PLL, you're either going to Bradley to ghost waltz in the basement or you're going to well be to be put in a Hannibal Lecter mask by your abusive husband. Like it's it's never going to end well. Uh, I feel like I, I mean, I, I feel like it's not like it's unforgivable. The rape babies are probably more unforgivable, but this is like an unforgivable breach in and of itself. Oh, I totally agree. And I, it's, I think part of what makes it even more unforgivable or even less forgivable is that it is like so little care is paid to this whole storyline. It's so rushed. It's so shoehorned into this episode that clearly has no, like this whole half season has had no interest in Emily or Allison. Like it, I wouldn't like this storyline, but if they had spent this whole half season, like, carefully constructing this to the point where it was like this felt like the inevitable conclusion of Allison like that would be a little bit better but like this is just it's just so like slapdash and pulled together at the last minute and it's just like inflicting more trauma on these characters it's also like it kills me that it's like every quote-unquote OTP kind of gets a moment in this episode and it's like Presria has sex Caleb kisses you know Spencer and Toby flirt Emily checks Allison into a mental institute. Oh my God. No kidding. They hug. They hug. Yeah. They say, I love you. And then Allison gets checked into the mental institution. What, what would be the damage? What would be the damage if they kissed? What if Allison kissed Emily when she saw her in the church? What if Allison felt like that was just one more way that she was spinning out of control? Like what would it cost you to give us that 
nothing. It would be free. You just don't like gay people anymore. Show. Also, yes. Also, when uh, Allison gives her wedding rings to Emily, is this more or less romantic than the pug proposal? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It might be less. Mildly, it, though. It, it's less because they're the, it's like she's married to somebody else. <laughs> like, so, so it's like less on a technicality, basically. It's less, yeah, it's less on a technicality. And she's saying, like, give these to my husband. Like, ew. Ugh, I know. I know. I hate it. It's real bad. Yeah, everything about this is terrible. Yeah, so in a wild, like, left turn emotionally, uh, suddenly we're at the Radley and we're having a celebration. Peter introduces the somewhat modest crowd to their new state senator, Veronica Hastings. Uh, Everybody claps, including Toby, who absolutely should not be here right now, especially if any photographs are getting taken that his girlfriend, whose mother just lost the election, might see. Uh, Spencer thanks him for the help, but just then she gets a frantic call from Aria. Mona, of course, is watching this whole exchange and follows Spencer and Toby as they dash out of the party. Uh, my note about why Toby is still here, and he's he's looking pretty happy. Uh, I think he's totally sure that jerking off while watching Spencer and Mona have tunnel sex is not technically cheating. So he's in the clear with Yvonne. <laughs> he's like, yes, talk about technicalities, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, also, remember when there was the whole hullabaloo about how Toby had made a statement to the press about the Hastings campaign yeah. and their underhanded tactics? So, like, Toby has gone from being, like, a player in the political campaign <laughs> to, like, oh, it's no big deal that he's here hanging out at this victory party instead of, you know, anywhere else. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. Agreed. Agreed. So, at the Lost Woods. Caleb is yelling at Presria because he didn't think to check the floors where a trap door has now been discovered. Okay, you know who should have thought to check for trap doors? Anybody who's aware that underground tunnels have been a giant part of this whole half season. Where are Toby and Spencer in an underground tunnel? How do you get to an underground tunnel? I don't know. I guess you fly there. Like, come on. Sarah Harvey is a bull. So Spencer and Toby burst in. Spencer says she's so sorry and she embraces Caleb. Mona appears seconds later and Caleb takes this chance to shout at Spencer. Why the hell did she bring her here? Oh my God. Spencer says she didn't. And Mona offers that she followed them. Caleb is mad, dad, mad. Prezra says, wait, wait, the video is downloading. Okay, so your amazing plan with all your security cameras, and now we've all got to wait for the video to download. Okay, we get a grainy video of a woman running. Just checking in here. Where's Emily? (laughs) Have we even let her know that Hannah is missing or anything? Isn't Emily on the security video? Oh, hey! Her! Right! She exists! Unknown. The liars wonder, how could this even be possible? (sighs) How indeed. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, You know, as you were talking about Emily, the other other thing, we have not, 
Emily. Remember Emily? Another thing we have, we have, we have not, we've really kind of not neglected to acknowledge as we've been talking about this half season is like, not only is PLL ignoring their one like queer main character, Emily is also the one woman of color of the liars and has been completely relegated to like helper this whole half season. So I just want to mention that. Um, and also the like Mona as such a trigger point for Caleb is fascinating, isn't it? That it's like he Hannah is missing. He sees Mona. He like goes ballistic. Like that is really interesting. Like his whole dynamic with Mona is really fascinating. Well, if Caleb, like, if Caleb had an unselfish love for Hannah in the way that Spencer does, in the way that Arya does, yeah, he would get down on his hands and knees and thank God that Mona is there because Mona is one of the few people with enough brain cells left on this show to possibly solve the case of what has happened to Hannah. Like, who do you want on your side right now? Someone who is a ride or die for Hannah. Someone yeah. who is formerly an A. Someone who is going to be able to help you puzzle this shit out. Mona is someone you like absolutely need there and need to be in your corner. And for you to like lash out and be like, why is she here? I'm so mad. Get out of here. You know what? His reaction against Mona here is the same reaction that Hannah was having against Mona being at her bridal shower. Mona is going to know what the fuck is up. Mona is going to see through his nonsense. And that is actually why he wants Mona as far away from this explosive Caleb Spalib, who's got the Caleb situation that he has created. (laughs) Caleb Spalib, who's got the Caleb. I like it. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, back. At the De Laurentiis house, Wilden is standing there. And suddenly, what does he do? He pulls off his own face, revealing one Mr. Elliot Rollins underneath, who is approached from behind by Vampire Jessica, a.k.a. Mary Drake. And he tells her in his evil British accent (laughs) that Allie signed the paperwork. He now controls 51% of Karasimi. She tells him in her low vampiric voice that he was the only man Charlotte ever loved, which she proved by marrying her. He proved by marrying her cousin. Because I guess Allison is just like a dog that nobody wants to spend time with anymore. They're finally taking back what was supposed to be Mary's. Mary caresses uh, the Charlotte photograph and says, that's what their Charlotte would have wanted. This is a real soap opera twist. Wowie, wow, wow. Weird, weird reveal here. <laughs> weird in so many ways. I mean, you've got... It's, 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 it's strange for the reveal to happen, like, not to a character. Like, it's weird for the audience to know something that the characters don't know. And it automatically, like... Puts, us, puts the characters at a disadvantage because they're all automatically going to feel dumb because we know something that they don't know. So, first of all, weird storytelling choice. Um, also, it forces characters to monologue about their evil plan in ways that they wouldn't. But, like, if you have another person there, it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, also, 
coconut oil masks. Apparently, you know, just you can make the world out of coconut oil, I guess. Um, also, why is he secretly British? I guess because like that's the that's the big hot twist of this like era of the show. Um, also, Karasimi group sometimes matters, sometimes doesn't. And this ma- point is like the most important thing. But like weird stakes to just like throw in here at the end. Also, is Elliot like gaslight? sleeping with Jason too because of like the way that he says he owns it like is he running a long con on Jason as well just weird lots of weird uh I especially like the way he says yes Mary just in case (laughs) just in case we didn't remember about the existence of Mary Drake, which we, Mary about, Drake. which we learned about in the scene where they said Mary Drake 100 times in 60 seconds. He's like, Mary, just so there's nobody at home who's like, is that Jessica? <laughs> Did, why is Jessica wearing a black wig? <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like how he says Mary there uh, in that way. But let's let's review some things here. And let's also remember that we have had nine episodes previous to this episode, which were mostly filler. Things we learn in this reveal scene that we have never heard before. Allison owned or owns a majority of Karasini? Or he's sleeping with Jason to get that majority stake? Also, I love how this is like such a, it's such a Dallas line or such a like RuPaul's Drag Race line. Like, I own 51% of this, you know, oil company. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So so that is interesting. Um, Also, Charlotte and Rollins were romantically involved. You were the only man my daughter ever loved. And so it's like, okay, could have, could have planted some seeds for that. Could have had a reveal of that to us prior but no Uh, so this is the first we learn of that Rollins is secretly British for no reason Um, you know could could we have had anything about that leading you know Um, the motivation for Rollins and Mary Drake putting Allie in a mental hospital is funny I guess Uh, or to restore Mary Drake what she feels like should have been hers or is what Charlotte would have wanted doesn't that seem oddly impersonal like it's yeah. not vengeance for charlotte in any way and, and we're not like assume we're you know are we to assume they're running this whole scam on allison while alex drake was taking point on the hannah kidnapping all by herself <laughs> like which is also about charlotte but like different <laughs> <laughs> what a muddled muddy mess right because like yeah, yeah. My memory of like what we find out next is like they were a faction, and then you had like the Jenna Knoll faction, and then you had like Alex, who was sort of like the overseer, but like operating these like satellite A factions or something. But it is really weird. It's especially weird, like what you were saying about it being a really impersonal motive, is that the way that they were targeting Allison was like very personal, you know, playing on her fears about her mother and her fears of being a bad person. And like, apparently her fears about Wilden. Okay. Um, And another interesting thing could have been Elliot, like us seeing Elliot sort of mining Allison for these details of her life. So he would know exactly how to psychologically manipulate her. Um, Like that 
like I guess we're maybe supposed to infer that, but like actually portraying that would have been really kind of interesting. But like it just this feels so far removed from anything else going on in the show right now that it's like it feels like you you did just like turn the channel onto an episode of Dallas or something. Well, like if if all that they wanted was Charlotte's money, which I guess is their motive in taking over Karasimi, like I mean, surely there are other ways that you could steal that money. Surely you could hack into Karasimi. Surely you could, like, plan some kind of bank heist. Like, I don't understand why this had to involve Allison being committed to a mental hospital after he marries her. Like, what a weird, weird... So it's not like they blame Allison for Charlotte's death. They don't seem to... They don't even really seem invested at all in finding out who killed Charlotte. No. They they are only interested in, I guess, like getting this money and access to the De Laurentiis house. What a what a lousy motivation. Like Rollins is a boring villain, but this motivation is like the least interesting, the, the least interesting thing that he and Mary Drake could be could be working on here, I feel. Well, I totally agree. And another weird thing about this is like we, you know, Mary Drake has been like dropped in our lap. <laughs> we have absolutely no sense of her relationship with Charlotte or if she and Charlotte even met. And yet she's like, this is what our Charlotte would have wanted. So it's like, it's very odd. And it again feels like the weird, another weird version of the like PLL bio- biology is destiny thing, because it almost feels like the show is saying like, well, by virtue of the fact that uh, Mary and Je- Mary was Jessica's identical twin. Like that automatically means that you know Charlotte had this connection to Mary or something. Like it's a very strange, it's a very strange situation. Well, also it's it's a really um, it's a really weird retcon on Charlotte's character because one of the main elements of the Charlotte reveal, the not great Charlotte reveal in six A, is that Charlotte is a person who has been searching for a family her whole life. And so is Allison. And so they have this connection with one another. Uh, This reveal is like, well, actually Charlotte did have people. She had Mary Drake, she had Alex Drake. um, She she had this family, but she just chose to like come back and keep tormenting the liars because it was so fun. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, it like doesn't work on any level, like on logic level or on like character motivation, emotion level. Oh, emotional level. Yeah. Also, Elliot looks disgusting in the scene. His face is covered by like a yellow paste, which I guess is supposed to be like something from the coconut oil, but he looks blondest yeah. and gross. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a disgusting scene in various ways. <laughs> Are we done? Are we done with those two and those like, vampiric evil I mean, plans? Unfortunately, we'll have to talk a lot more about them next season. So I think I think let's let's be done with them for for this episode. Okay. Okay. So look, Emily has teleported to the scene of the Lost Woods with no commentary or explanation. When last we saw everybody at the Lost Woods, Emily was not there. Now she has poofed into existence here. Uh, her car is not in evidence. There's no, like, nothing. Uh, question, would this scene be any different if she were absent? It would not, because she's not a main character anymore. The liars are still watching this video now outside and see that it is Mrs. D on the video. 
should they call the police? To which I say, isn't Toby a police? He's right there. Don't ask questions. The liars all get a text that says, thanks for giving me Hannah. You're all free to go. It's signed AD. The liars look shocked. They're shocked. They're shocked what? That A has Hannah? What did you think happened to her? They're shocked that they're getting a text message? They've been getting text messages from this person like all season long. Why are they shocked? I don't know. They're shocked. You know what would be a good thing right now is for Spencer or Emily or Aria to bring up at this time, hey, Mrs. D on the video. Wasn't Allison just seeing Mrs. D? Maybe she isn't actually hallucinating. But no one has time to think of Allison right now because we are all in on the fake out with Hannah being kidnapped. Yeah, this is a classic, like, do any of you communicate with each other moment? Like, I guess, I guess not. And I guess nobody, I guess it's like a teenage bounty hunter situation where just Jessica had a secret twin that nobody knew about. And uh, never mind the fact that, like, everybody has the last name Drake. Let's ignore that fact. Like, it's all fine. It's all good. Uh, twins, tw- twins don't exist except when they do. Like, it's well, such and, a, and Yeah. All of the twins, there's one evil twin and one good twin. That's yes. that's why you have to hide them from each other. Like it's like, you know, yeah, like it's Cassandra and Paris in Troy. You have to split them up. You have to like big, big, big secrets. Yeah, yeah. It's And it's so funny because like Mary Drake is going to be a huge part of the rest of the series moving forward. So this is really, this is really like the Mary Drake uh the Mary Drake backdoor pilot in a sense. Um, but yeah, this weird like fake out of, um, of, of Hannah, like, we, so we go over to the church and there is a body that looks like Hannah's, but also like now we know about the existence of coconut oil masks. So this could be anybody, this could be a dummy. Um, and I don't actually remember, I think this is a dummy. Or it maybe, is a dummy. This yes, is a dummy. Um, has the flowers in her hands, much like how Charlotte had the flowers in her hands and is being dragged across the floor. There's some blood on her mouth. We're meant to believe that like this, like this is Hannah and Hannah is dead. Unfortunately, Hannah is being like psychosexual, like cow prod tortured in like a barn somewhere. Yes, that is what has actually become of Hannah as we will later learn. So that is, Hush, hush, sweet liars. Final thoughts. Oh, man. So we were talking at the beginning of this episode, like, is this the worst uh, the worst season finale? And I, I think we were also going to talk about, is it actually the worst of all the season finales and mid-season finales? And yeah, I, would, I would offer to you, <laughs> I would offer to you that it is not. I think that the 6A finale is worse than this just because of the way that that one is structured where everybody is just standing around watching like things on the big you know the the big hologram uh space screen uh and because of all of the like misgendering and all of the harmful stuff so i i think this one is really bad but i think it's only the second worst if we include the half season finales I'll agree with that. Some of the mid like the lady killer in season three, that's a really bad episode. <laughs> um, 
I'm just. I'm just... I mean, it's a really bad episode, but it is head and shoulders oh, above this one. Oh my for, gosh, for sure. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think. I mean, season six. I think. I like. I think I said this at the top, but like, I do think season six is the worst overall season of PLL. I think it's worse than season seven. Like, I I think it is a really really bad season of television. Oh man, that's so hard to say because the dollhouse stuff and like like season six didn't start out as terribly. Like there there were some strong episodes at the start of six A, but as we got further along and as their only idea was misgendering, um ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not a good season. We'll put it that way. No, I yeah, I, I think you're probably right about, like, the disjointedness and everything. Um, but I, I would be interested, like, if we did an episode-by-episode episode comparison, like, how many episodes of season six we feel were, like, decent episodes versus, like, if, like, I think we're only going to get maybe two in all of season seven. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I don't know why I'm holding out hope that season seven is going to bring something. Maybe maybe I'm just being uh, naively optimistic, but we'll see. Um, Yeah. What are like what do you have any more kind of like overall season six thoughts or, or this half season thoughts? Hmm. Um, well, one of the things is that I I didn't remember the replacement boyfriends being around for quite as long as they were. Like, yeah. it's interesting that like, I mean, now obviously like we're, we're, you know, going to sweep them clean of the decks. Um, but I didn't remember them actually still kind of being in play uh, by the time we got to the end of this half season. So that was, that was an interesting, like, you know, that was an interesting thing to observe as we were watching through this. Cause it's just like the show doesn't take them seriously at all. Right. And like, neither is the audience supposed to. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also like, I didn't remember that many of the recurring characters that show up in season seven do not at all show up in six B like Noel and Jenna. I, I could have sworn that Jenna was in this half season. Um, I had forgotten really how little Lucas is in this part of the season that he comes back more. Um, and I had also forgotten how little of this half season is ultimately about Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that one of the things too is like when watching this season originally, or at least this this half season, it the really the whole season it's about the liars and their relationship with the police. Like, once the mm-hmm. liars are freed from the dollhouse, the police do have to, like, actually shift into a mode of trying to protect them instead of trying to mm-hmm. accuse them of everything. Uh, but now, now that we're back, like, one of the dynamics has changed. The liars are older, they're adults, but the police are still just as suspicious of them as ever. Again, it seems like the show has regressed. Uh, and the police presence is so uneven. Like, it's Lorenzo, and then it's Tanner, and then for long stretches, it's nobody. Uh, sometimes they're breathing down their necks. Sometimes they're accosting Emily in a coffee shop. Yeah. Sometimes you can go to New York or Boston or wherever, and there's not actually anything that they can do. Uh, we haven't really seen any of the liars being interrogated no. in this half season. Um we haven't really, there, there hasn't been any giant 
uh, rosewood masked ball. Uh, the closest that we really get is either Hannah's baby shower or the Hastings victory party. Um, it, it's just missing a lot of like, you know, a, a lot of the marks that make it, um, that make the show what it is. And as you know, the choices for A, they don't always have to like knock it out of the park. I mean, you're never going to choose anybody as great as, as Mona to be behind it. But like, when you think about like the Thornhill Lodge stuff and there's like Melissa and there's Jenna and there's Shauna and there's all these people in play. Tobe is on the A-team. Mona is maybe back on the A-team. Um, Prezra is maybe A. Uh, like Rollins and Mary Drake are like, and Sarah Harvey who's skulking around for a lot of this half season. Like, what an absolute deadly trio of dull-ass villains. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, Mary Drake is probably the best of the bunch, but, like, you could, like, you could just rub Elliot Rollins and Sarah Harvey together, like, two sticks trying to start a fire and not get a single iota of chemistry uh, from either of them. Yeah, I, 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 that's a great visual. I agree. They are... <laughs> They are just incredibly dull. And it's, you know, I actually think it's really unfortunate that they, like, hitch Mary's wagon to Elliot. Because, like, I don't love Mary Drake. But as as I've talked about, like, I love Andrea Parker. Like, I think she's a really compelling screen presence. And I actually think she has interesting chemistry with many of the actors on the show. Uh, and, and I think that there is maybe a world where the idea of, like, Jessica having a secret twin could have maybe not worked, but like worked better. But the way that they bring her back and like the way that they also, so the way that they tire to Elliot, but then they're also going to bring in Alex and it's just like, well, it was like, and then Ren. And then it's like Alex and Drake and Alex, <laughs> Alex Drake and Ren and Rollins. Like we were all, you know, it's just like, it, it kind of reminds me of the way we've talked about how the liars have become really interchangeable this season. It feels like the villains have also become really interchangeable. Like when we're talking about like, oh, it could be, you know, Alex Drake wearing a mask of Rollins face and then a mask of Wilden's face on top of it. Like, yeah, it could be. It doesn't really matter. And, you know, like one of the things that was so fun about Mona is like, yes, you had the is she everywhere and nowhere piece. But you also more or less could like trace it back and be like, oh, yeah, that tracks that Mona did that. Or like even if it didn't, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, OK, so Lucas was the one who gave Emily that massage. Like it th there is a there is a thoughtfulness and a care in the writing back then that just doesn't exist at this point. And like the every character has lost the thing that makes them themselves and it's really like I think it's like why we've been harping on Ashley Benson so much this season is like basically what it comes down to now is just what the actor is bringing because the writing's not there and so it's like you know Lucy is bringing hat party energy and so that makes the Arya scenes tolerable Troyan is being Troyan you know uh Shay and Sasha are doing their best with breadcrumbs and Ashley is over it and so it's like because Ashley is over it Hannah doesn't feel like anything because the writing's not there, like we were saying up top. So it's it is it's like a show should not be this dependent on its actors to be doing all of the work. The other thing that I wanted to point out when you were talking about the lack of masked balls or like, you know, big like police presence or any of that, I think as we've been talking about all season, it's pretty apparent that they had not a big budget at this point. Like this really feels like a show 
and I was just, as I was scrolling through looking at the episodes, I was looking at like the dwindling viewership at this point. Like people were not that excited about PLL anymore when it was airing in real time. And I think that shows nobody behind the scenes or in front of the camera seems that excited. It doesn't seem like they had a lot of money to work with. Like this feels like a show that is very much going out with a whimper, which is really unfortunate. Well, I think even just looking at season six, you can say that like it starts off with the dollhouse, which is like, Oh, yes. really, you know, like the, the ramifications of what it was like for them to be in there, the flashbacks of what they had to go through. Like, that's like some really heavy stuff. That's some really interesting writing. And then it ends here with now we own 51 percent of Karasini. That's why you married her cousin. Like, you know, like, like they're practically like going to do a coconut oil mustache that they can both curl <laughs> in front of a mirror. Like. You know, so it really, it, the season is like that. It starts off with a bang and it ends with, um, it, it just ends with a little coconut oil here. A little coconut oil whimper. <laughs> uh, yes, it does. Do we have any more that we want to say about this season or this episode? <laughs> we do not. We've exhausted it all. We've, we've, we have spent, I can guarantee we've spent more time thinking about this season than anybody in that writer's room. Um, Luckily for us and for our dear listeners, we are not jumping directly back into season seven. We are going to do a run of some bonus content, uh, some PLL related stuff, some not PLL related stuff. Um, it's going to be really nice, I think, to take a little break. Uh, if people have stuff that they're curious for us to talk about, you know, I can't guarantee we can't guarantee that we'll cover it, but we'd be curious to to hear it. Uh, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can send in a rating and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Uh, but next week, do you want to tell them what we're going to be talking about? Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about is Emily written as a queer character anymore? Where did the gay go? <laughs> Where did the gay go? Indeed. Uh, yeah, that, that should be a fun discussion. Yes. Yes. Well, um, so until then, when we when we actually get to talk about the lack of gay uh, in this in this half season that has really, really, really had us searching for for the gay breadcrumbs. Yes. Yes. In the meantime, I own 51 percent of this podcast. (laughs) You proved that by marrying her cousin. (laughs) So does this mean that you're the Rollins and I'm the Mary Drake? No, I, you own 51%. Yeah, who, who knows? Who knows? Oh, who yeah. 51% of the podcast. It could be anyone. It could be, it could be existentially. It is all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Until next time.